Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them, please, to Hebrews chapter 11 and Exodus chapter 14. Hebrews chapter 11, Exodus chapter 14, in a Bible study that I've entitled, By Faith, Israel Faced the Deep Trial. You know, this section has been focused on Moses, but there's a transition from Moses to the children of Israel in this verse, verse 29. We've been looking at the faithfulness of Moses, the faith surrounding Moses, but now Moses, a few years have passed, and now Moses is going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, delivered from slavery. Notice with me in verse 29 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. This represents a major trial in the nation of Israel, a difficult time collectively. Even now as we as a church family, are all facing like the same trial at the same time. Now, there are individual issues in the room, and there are family issues in the room, and there are situational issues in the room, but we're in a generation in an era where right now we're all facing the same trial. And there are different responses to the trial. Just like when there's a trial in your home, different people respond differently. And we should expect there'll be differences among us, we should expect that different people will respond in different ways. However, let's not neglect to see that there's great division in the body of Christ today. And that doesn't please the Lord. Division is not from the Lord. Now, of course, he speaks of us separating from false teaching and false teachers for sure. But he also warns us of division. And division usually shows up in times of great trial and stress and anxiety. No, the Bible instructs us that we're not to fight each other, but rather we're to strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That we already have a unity when we're together in the Lord. And trials have a way of revealing things in us. They don't create things in us. We kind of think, well, you know, if I never went through the trial, I would have never acted that way. Actually, the trial just gave you opportunity to respond in a way to show you what was already in you. And it revealed something to present to the Lord, not unlike the children of Israel here, as they go through the trial together. Now listen, church, it would be easy for me, week after week, to teach on the topic of trials and troubles and difficulties, because we all have them. We have them collectively and we have them individually. And we shouldn't be surprised that difficulties arise. We shouldn't be surprised that big-time difficulties arise in our lives because Jesus said that in this world, John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have tribulations, he said. Expect it. But he said, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world, that there's a better day coming. Peter would tell young Timothy, he'd say, look, even the desire to live godly will bring with it opposition and difficulty that desire to live godly will bring persecution, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. You can count on it. 
This is a theme throughout the scriptures. The faithfulness of God as seen in the trials and testings of man. Jesus taught about it in Matthew chapter 7. Remember, there were those two guys that built houses. And one of the things we see that they shared, they were on different foundations. But one of the things they shared, one of the things they had together was the storms beat upon both of their houses. Storms come to us all. We face them all the time. And that would be a mistake to expect that you as a believer would skip out on trials. Now I know as we go through the topic of trials, there will be some as I'm teaching begin to respond defensively because, well, because the weight of the pain in your life is so heavy that God is ready to bring healing into your life, but you have a natural defense mechanism. Sometimes it is expressed this way. As I'm teaching through a section of the Bible, especially on trials, there's this defensiveness that comes up and says, well, you know what, pastor? I don't know what kind of authority you have to speak to trials in my life. You don't know what I'm going through. If you knew what I was going through, then you would have delivered it this way or you would have handled it that way. And you, you're in that place of not wanting to receive or maybe even meeting in a place so filled with pain and sorrow that you're just not ready to receive words of encouragement or words of deliverance right now. But that would too would be a mistake because the issues in your life are not between you and me. It's not about you and me. It's easy to do that. It's not about you and the messenger. You know, you've got the messenger. It's not about you and me. Anytime we gather together in a, in a time like this, we present ourselves to the teaching of the word of God. We want to worship in song together, take communion. Anytime that happens, it's not about you and me. It's about you and God. And you might say, well, Ed, if you understood, if you just understood, if you had more empathy, you would have done this and you would have said that. I think over the years, God has increased my empathy. I think that if I sat down with you in the conference room and you shared with me what was going on in your life, I think my empathy with you would grow because now I know a little bit more about you and I know a little bit more about your unique situation. But I'll never fully understand what you're going through. You'll never fully understand the things that I've gone through or that I'm going through. And it would be unreasonable for us to expect that from one another. But instead, what we can expect from one another is to take each other to the Lord and to his truth. Like, you're right, I don't fully understand you, but God understands you. And you're right, I fully don't know what's happening in your life, but God knows. And you would be right, I don't see everything that you're going through. I don't feel everything you're going through, but God sees and he knows. Remember, we learn in Hebrews that we have a high priest that can relate with us. He's on our level. God in human flesh has faced all the trials and temptations that you have faced except without sin. And he can empathize with you. I think as we learn how to cast our cares upon the Lord, you know what you'll learn? That he cares for you. And he does. Everything we're reading of in the Old Testament, all these testimonies of faith, are for us to learn from. And we notice that it's by faith that they pass through the Red Sea. But the Red Sea was a time of great trial. You could say it was one of the first great trials of this new nation being formed. Seventy people years earlier enter into Egypt asking for grain. Just the 
the family, Joseph's family, shows up asking for grain, asking for food. And those 70 people, God reveals Joseph, God reveals his purposes and his will. They've now grown to about two and a half million. And by this time, they are slaves making bricks all day to build the cities of Egypt. And God sends a deliverer. Come back now to Exodus chapter 13 as we catch up where they are and what's being described here by faith. I love this because God is ready to work in your life as well. And he's ready to meet you in the crisis that you're in right now. Every crisis is met by the faithfulness of God. Let's start in chapter 13 of Exodus, verse 17, to gain the context of everything that's going on. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, this is the nation of Israel, two and a half million people, and God did, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their mind and they see war and return to Egypt. And mark these words, verse 18. Very important to understand where we're at. So God led the people. Everything you're about to read is out of the leading of God. Everything that children of Israel are facing in this moment is because of their obedience. God is leading. He's in the front. They're following him. So he leads them around the way by the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. They have been delivered from slavery at this point. This is the beginning of great things. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath saying, God will surely visit you and shall carry up my bones from here with you. Now what was prophesied by Joseph is happening. They're leaving, and they're taking the bones of Joseph with them. So they took their journey from Succoth and encamped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, this is the leader, the deliverer, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-ha-haroth between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-zephon, and you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land, and the wilderness has closed them in. Then I'll harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready, verse 6, his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, and his army, and overtook them by camping by the sea beside Pi-Haharoth and by Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, 
the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. God's hands are all over this activity. He's leading before and behind. He is in the midst of his people. And he leads them out of Egypt, not the shortest distance, because he doesn't want them to see war. He doesn't want them to see the violence of the land and automatically strike fear. Instead, he takes them in a circuitous route that would prevent them from seeing all these things so that they would be in a place where they would trust him. And what he does is he leads them right up to the Red Sea which is a place that could be viewed as being trapped with no way out. You could say that they're in a place where they're stuck. They can't go forward, the Red Sea's before them. They can't go to the left or to the right because on either side of them are small mountains that, you know, two and a half million people running, the Egyptians will surely catch up to them. And then if they look backwards to retreat, they've got the Egyptian army. Now think of this for a second. The, the people, the children of the nation of Israel, they're not armed military people. They're moms and dads and kids like you and me. Now there might be some trained leaders and men among them, women that could fight a battle, but for the most part, they're just people like you and me. They're not trained for war. They're just living life. And God's taking them from one existence of life, from slavery, to a time of freedom and trust in the Lord. And in order to do that, there is a, there, there is a pause in their life. And the pause in their life is in this place at the Red Sea, the impossible. God takes them to the impossible. And I realize that some of you are in that place today. God is taking you to the impossible. And there you are. Which way to go? I can't go forward. I can't go either to the left or to the right. I certainly can't go backwards, and I'm stuck. And I wonder how many listening to me right now have prayed to God and said, you know, I just feel stuck. I'm stuck. And that so often is viewed as very negative. I'm stuck. I'm not making any progress. I don't see any, you know, the world. I should be here by then. I was expecting to be at this place in my life, at this age in my life, and here I am, and I'm stuck. Well, I'm here today to remind you that being stuck isn't necessarily a bad place to be. Where you don't have anywhere to go. You're looking to the left and you're looking to the right and you're looking up ahead. You might even peek over your shoulder, but God has brought you to a place so that you might look up. God is about to work. His hands are all over it, follower of God. His hands are all over your life. His providential sovereignty is in the midst of your life today in the fear, in the anxiety. Notice what happens to them here in verse 10. It says, as they look at their situation, they're very afraid. You see that? They're very afraid. That's a normal response. It's not necessarily the best response, but that's a normal response. The idea of being afraid is not a bad thing. God has given us the emotion of fear. God uses fear in our life. That, like A healthy dose of fear will keep us away from danger. And It's not that fear is bad. It's an emotion that I'd get. But here they're in a place of very afraid. You know what we might call that today? Panic. They're panicking. And you know as well as I do, nothing good comes out of panic. You begin to take things into your own hands. You begin to, maybe panic isn't the way you describe it. Maybe the way to describe it is you're freaking out right now because you're stuck. You're freaking out right now because you're stuck. 
You're very afraid. And then it says, well, look at, they cried out to the Lord. Now, if we just had this one verse, I could see how you could conclude that this is a good thing. This is not a good thing. They're not crying out to the Lord with their eyes closed and their heads bowed and their hands folded. Oh God, we are in big trouble, right? Say it, everybody. We are in big trouble. No, they are freaking out and complaining and murmuring about their situation. They are in a moment right now because of their circumstances that they have forgotten the goodness of God. And you said, how can you come to that conclusion? Read on. Verse 11. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? To which Moses could say, no. Then the next question, why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Now, that's a great question to ask. They're not asking it in a nice way, but let's answer it for them. Why did you take us out of Egypt? Here's the answer. Because you wanted to go out of Egypt. Because every day you cried out to God for a deliverer. Every day you wanted to be delivered. You wanted to leave Egypt. You wanted the promised land. You wanted the promises of Abraham. You wanted the promises of Isaac. You wanted the promise. You wanted all that God had for you. Why did you take me out of Egypt? Because God is giving you everything you've ever wanted. But they're stuck. And they're freaking out. Verse 12. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Really? Just leave us here? We'll just be slaves? Like, what are they thinking? Let me, let me just say, they are speaking dumb here. If you like to write in your margins there, you can just like, they are speaking dumb. And don't you think for a moment that in times of difficulty, dumb things don't come out of your mouth. Because here they are. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians then we should die in the wilderness. That's just a lie. They're believing a lie here. They're not just speaking dumb. They're believing a lie. It would not have been better for you to be stuck in your sins and your trespasses. It would not be better to die in the wilderness. It would be better. You are the safest place that for you and me on the planet Earth is to be in the center of God's will. Even when and especially when you're stuck. And you feel like there's no way out. God is at work. God is at work in your life. And notice here what happens. They're upset, and they take it out on the people that are closest to them. In this case, they take it out on Moses, who came back in obedience to God. He came back as the deliverer, empowered by God to lead the children of Israel, standing before Pharaoh. You guys that are Bible students, you know Moses didn't even want to do this. He didn't even think he could do this. And yet God said, no, you will do this. So he's here out of obedience. They're following him out of obedience. God leads them to a place where they're stuck and they're trapped and they're boxed in a corner and there's no way out except to look up and trust God. And notice the answer from Moses in verse 13. And by the way, before we get to the answer, can you just, when I ask you to pray for your pastors, for their wives, for their kids, please do. Because we take the brunt of the murmuring and complaining in the church. We take the brunt of the attack on the church from the world. We take the brunt on the attack of the, the culture on the church. And we also take the brunt of believers, instead of trusting God, choosing to murmur and complain about difficult situations in their lives. And so pray for your pastors. Because Moses, this is the beginning of 40 years of this for him. This is just the beginning, Mo. It gets worse. 
This is the way it is in his life. This is God's call upon his life. And he embraced it. He wasn't always perfect with it, but he embraced it. But the pastors, the leaders of your church, their wives, their kids, they are, we're on the front lines. We, we take the full brunt of this. And it's just best for you not to murmur and complain. And I challenge anyone to search through the scriptures. Go ahead and email me, text me, whatever you want to do. Show me in the Bible where God gives you permission to sinfully murmur and complain just because you don't like something. Oh, there was no laughter on that one. There isn't anywhere. I know that we have a tendency to express our emotions that way, but really, what does complaining get you? Where is it taking you? You see, God is at work in your life, and he wants to send you, he wants to use you to send Egypt a message. He wants Egypt to know about his power and his glory and his faithfulness. He wants today, the culture in which we live, he wants the the church to represent, as Jesus said, the salt and the light. He wants us to represent all that comes through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. He wants the world to understand his power. He wants the world to understand his forgiveness. He wants Egypt, the culture today, to understand him. And he's chosen to do it through the vehicle of you and me, his church. And how careful we need to be not to be all freaking out over things that are outside of our control. Sure, we might be stuck, but God will be with us. And notice what his answer is in verse 13. So Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Number one, you're very afraid, don't be afraid. Number two, stand still. Just stop it. Stop running all over the place. Stop trying to get things in your own hands. Stop it, just stand still. And then you'll see, get your eyes back, you'll see the salvation of the Lord. You'll see it. Because he'll accomplish it for you, it says, today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see never again, no more. And notice verse 14. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Now that phrase, you shall hold your peace, let me paraphrase that for you. Be quiet. That's what Moses says. Hey, don't be afraid. Stand still. You're going to see God's work, his salvation. He's going to accomplish it. The Egyptians you're afraid of right now, you'll never see again. God's going to fight for you. God has placed himself between you and your enemies. God has placed himself between you and injustices. God has placed himself between you and those things that bring great fear. But whether you enjoy the presence of God has everything to do with where your eyes are. Jesus spoke about our eyes being the gateways into our soul. That that where we focus, what we pay attention to will build our trust or not. Oh, you can still see the salvation of the Lord and hurt at the same time. You can still see the salvation of God and be overwhelmed with grief and sorrow for sure. Or you can take your eyes off of the faithfulness of God and you cannot be quiet. Moses said, look, you've got to be quiet. You've got to stand still. Or like the psalmist said, what did the psalmist say? He said, be still and know that I am God. Stay put. A better way of looking at that is from what Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. That's your source of strength. And don't be afraid. 
Don't, don't lose control. Don't blame your bad behavior on something or someone else. Abide in Christ. He hasn't forgotten you. There are just times in your life where things are not the way they look. And I know you, you've set it up and you've looked at it. You've got the calculator out. You've kind of figured it out. You've looked at what the past performance, and you do, you're like, oh no, this is bad. But it's not as it looks because there's always a spiritual dynamic beyond what you can physically see. To see into the spiritual realm. God wants to show you. God has brought you to where you are. You're boxed in today. You're stuck you you're, don't know which way to go. God has brought you to that place so he could show you his resources, show you his faithfulness that you don't know anything about. He's ready to de- deliver you. He's ready to fight for you. He's ready to protect you. He's ready to come in ways that you don't even have any idea about. You don't even know. You know, one of the things he's going to do here that if you would have told the children of Israel, this is how God's going to deliver you, you would, they would have laughed. Because we're going to laugh in a second when we see what God has done. But what Moses didn't do is he didn't try to reason. He didn't try to explain to them. He just said, look, get your eyes back on the Lord, guys. We've come this far. God's not going to let us down now. And God has brought you this far, church. He's not going to just abandon you now. As a matter of fact, God has promised never to abandon you or forsake you or turn his back on you, ever. Especially now in the time of great crisis. Now, Notice with me, verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. So here is where they are. Only when they learn to be quiet and only when they learn how to stand still were they able to go forward. So you know how you get when you're panicking. You just want to run, you want to run, you want to run, you want to run, you want to run. And God says, no, don't be afraid. Stand still. Watch out for God. Be quiet. Now go forward. Be in that posture and that place of receiving the presence of God. Remember, you're going forth in his string. Sometimes we're standing when we should be moving. Other times we're moving when we should be standing. How do we know the difference? The Spirit of God inside of us. He'll give us direction. You see, the deliverance was theirs. It was already theirs. Now it was time to move forward. There was a way out, a way of deliverance that they had no idea. They just needed to continue to go forth by faith. Notice again in verse 17. I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor. Why has God allowed this? To gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army and over his chariots and over his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Look, your whole response to every trial, every difficulty, collectively, individually, is for the purpose of God through you showing the world his power through your weakness, through, through our timidity, through our lack of resources, God is wanting to show off his power through you. Uh, that's a pretty heavy thought. There are very few times where I would look at my life and say, man, it's worth showing off at all, but God sees something different than even I see. 
I belong to him. He purchased me with his own blood. And what's true for me is true for you. The Egyptians are going to know that I'm the Lord. That They're going to know not only they, but this story, this true story is going to be studied thousands of years later. And when we get to the next by faith in Hebrews, we're going to learn about Joshua and Rahab. And guess what Rahab's talking about when the guys show up in the promised land? We heard about you. And we heard about your God and the power of your God, and we're afraid. And we'll be looking at that next time. You see, the faithfulness of God, word gets around. Just as fast as murmuring and complaining gets around, so does the word of God's faithfulness and his strength. And the ability that, like, man, you know, you're looking at it like God wants to use your life. So think about it this way. You're at work. Last couple weeks, you've been crying in your cubicle because it's been hard. And you can't hold back the tears. It's all over your face. And yet, a couple weeks later, you go back to work and you're doing better. You're doing better. So there you are in the break room and somebody comes up and goes, are you okay? Because like the last couple weeks you've been crying, but you look good today. And you're like, yeah, you know, I am doing better. My God has been helping me. And they go, oh, no, you're not one of those people. Oh, yeah, not only am I one of those people, but I want you to sit down because I got a story to share with you. I want to tell you about how just how bad it was. I want to tell you just how hurt I am. I want to tell you just how hard it's been. And then I want to tell you about the God of all comfort, who comforts me in all my tribulation, who's been with me every moment of the way. And I'm sorry, and I'm embarrassed by the tears on my face, but I know that you cry sometimes too. Who comforts you in your tears? Who comforts you in your pain? Who do you turn to? You see, everything is an occasion for God's glory to shine through your life. Everything. Everything is from, everything is from God's faithfulness in this world. Yeah, we face the pain of sin and difficulty, but everything is from a loving God. He's allowed it into your life. He's allowed the circumstances. He's even, even brought you perhaps to a place where you're trapped and you're stuck. Why? So that your life will become an occasion. He wants to show the Egyptians his power. He wants to show this culture it has no power over us. Don't settle for weak, beggarly areas of power. No, we have a greater. We have one that's greater. And as we learn how to navigate through troubled waters in our culture, without murmuring, without complaining, just learning to trust in a faithful God in an unfaithful culture, God's showing his power. He's showing his power in a way that could not come any other way. So notice, in verse 19, the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. And so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave it light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near and the other all that night. Then Moses, verse 21, stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. So God brings you right to the Red Sea and then he tells the Red Sea what to do. And he makes a way where there is no way. Not only that, because this is the God of the miraculous here. This is a miracle of God. 
This is no small thing. You know, the commentators and people will come to this in the Bible and go, oh, you know, it wasn't really read the sea. It was more of this other little area known as the Reed Sea, where it was just a little bit of water, you know, just a couple inches of water. And then they were able to go and the water kind of moved and they walked over. No, 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 no. Not true, not true, not so. The Bible says that God moved upon the water. And not only did he move the water, but that the land wasn't muddy. When you expect it to be muddy, muddy and then you get stuck in it. It wasn't even muddy. It was dry. Why? Because we believe, you know, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, remember that verse? In the beginning, God created. The rest of the Bible is easy to receive. You know that. You either believe Genesis 1-1 or you don't. And I know that you do. And so this is the miraculous. And it just spoke to my heart personally. I want more of the miraculous of God in my life. I'm one of those guys that likes to figure things out, likes to put numbers together. You know, when the Bible says God is, loves decency and in order, that resonates with my, I love things decently and in order. I just like things the way, I like things in a specific way, but God likes to break in on our normal with supernatural things. He is the God of the miraculous. There is a miraculous way of deliverance even for you right now. And I pray that you can access it and enjoy it by faith. The, the good news about this is that all these failures by the children of Israel, how are they remembered in Hebrews? By faith, they went through the Red Sea. Now, if we just went through Hebrews and never came back to Exodus, we would think, oh no, I don't know if I could ever be like them because if I was at the Red Sea, I'd be freaking out. So were they. And if I was at the Red Sea, I'd be complaining. So were they. And if I was at the Red Sea, I'd be really mad at Ed for leading us there. So were they. But what does God remember? Not your failures. God remembers your faith. So even today, you're backed into a corner and you're out of control. God is faithful. He's able to deliver you. So it came, verse 20, between the camp Verse 21, Moses stretches out his hand. They're on dry land. Verse 22, the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. The Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. All the Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled, uh-oh, now God's going to deal with the Egyptians. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And you got it, you know, God has a sense of humor. Look what he does to them. He could do a lot of things. He could send lightning bolts. He could make the water fire. He could talk from heaven. But what does our God do? Check this out. It says that as they're going through, he looks down upon them, and he verse 25, took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. So you just imagine, they're like all the things that God could do, he's down there unscrewing their, their chariot wheels so that they're all wobbling around and they've lost control. I don't know if he unscrewed. Don't quote me on that, all right? I don't know if he unscrewed. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. So he said, the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them. Well, however he did it, the Egyptians got the message. God is on the move here. He fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 26, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. 
So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. When the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned, covered the chariots, the horsemen, all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. So those guys that think it was in a little bit of water, you know, a few inches in the Reed Sea, if that's true, then that's even a greater miracle that all that little water drowned the entire Egyptian army. So either way, God wins of the miraculous, right? But we know what the Bible says. We trust what it says. We know that it was miracle upon miracle upon miracle because when God invades the natural, he invades it with his supernatural power. Nothing, like, I don't know why, I don't understand why we're so prone to freak out when we should be so prone to trusting God by faith. He has been faithful in the past. Amen? Anybody? Has he been faithful in your past? Yes. Do you think he's going to be faithful in the future? Yes. You just got to stand still. You got to be quiet. You got to see the salvation of the Lord. It's one of the reasons why we take communion. Every, all the elements are right there. That's why we come to the communion table. Because a greater than Moses is here today. His name, Jesus Christ. He's the one that sacrificed his life for you. Died on the Roman cross. Was buried and three days later rose again to forgive you and me of our sins. He, he at the communion table, we're standing still. At the communion table, we're seeing our salvation. At the communion table, we are remembering in silence quietness, the faithfulness of God. It says in verse 30, so the Lord saved Israel that day. You might want to mark that. You can write next to it your name. And so the Lord saved Ed that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. I've been in some deep pits myself. I I understand the inside of a deep pit. I understand that sense like Joseph, you know, he's in the deep pit. I've been in a deep pit. Darkness all around. No hope of ever getting out. You get, you get so used to the pit sometimes, there are times you don't even want to get out. You're just like, this is my life. And then you get to that place, all right, finally somebody coming by, going to take me out of the pit. Oh, man, they're slave traders. Ugh. Things are worse, not better. And you get there, and you finally get put into the house of Potiphar. Okay, great. Until you meet his wife, accused of rape, thrown into prison. Things get worse. And there you are in prison, talking to the baker, talking to the butler. Remember me, remember me. Forgotten for years in the prison. Things get worse. Till finally in the appropriate time, God intervenes. So that at the end, like Joseph, we can say what was meant for evil, God has turned around for good. What was meant for evil. Things are just meant for evil. Evil people do evil things. It's hard for us sometimes to grasp because we have learned to stay innocent in the things that are evil, but others not so much. And we have insight here that God saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. It was a done deal. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. God will take care of your enemies. God will take care of them. You take care of them, you're going to suffer. Let God deal with your enemies. He'll take care of them. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord. Look at how fast. They went from very afraid to now fearing the Lord. Why? Because they did what Moses told them to do, and they got to see it with their own eyes. Now we know. I'm I'm trusting God through this. 
I'm trusting God. Listen, church, as we close here. Everyone in this room faces something. Faces things you've never faced before. Different and diverse. Cancer, divorce, prodigal kids, addictions, suicide, suicidal thought, anger. Great, evil atrocities have been perpetrated upon your family. And the Lord is leading you along the way. With the leading of God comes the deliverance of God. They go together. With the leading of God comes to the deliverance of God. Maybe he's led you into what you foresee as a trap. Maybe he's allowed circumstances to box you in. Perhaps you're in the depth of a deep, dark pit that has left you no other choice. The children of Israel, covered by the blood, remember they were just finished the Passover. They put the blood over the door on the, in the form of the cross. The angel of death passes. They just, now with they're covered by the blood, they're being delivered out of Egypt. You too being covered by the blood. God is leading you out of bondage. And here you are at the deep water, trapped, faced with a new challenge, never been this way before. It's new, it's scary, and you take the challenges and you add to them pain, and you add to them sorrow, and you add to them heartache, and you add to them disappointment, and you add to them prejudice, and all of these things, and you're just like, whoa, we love you, Lord. We sacrifice for you. We give of our tithes and offerings, but this hurts so much, and I'm afraid. And I'm concerned. Why did you bring me here? It would have been better. And listen, church, it wouldn't have been better. It wouldn't have been better. You need to learn to take your hands off of it. Disengage yourself from the problem and look to the God of victory. Your deliverance will be miraculous, unexplainable, It won't be your resources. It won't be your thoughts. It won't be your solutions. Take it from someone that has trusted man before. Man will let you down, greatly disappoint you. You trust in man. You trust in systems. You trust in governments. Men and women will let you down, disappoint you. Perhaps even take a circumstance and use it against you. But God will never ever, ever abandoned you. Actually, we learn here that God has positioned himself between you and the enemy. They have to go through him. And that trust, that settled trust and faith, God says, go forward. And the water parts and the land is dry. You need to know today that God loves you and he hasn't forsaken you. Whatever heartache or difficulty you're in, how desperate your thoughts might be, you need to leave it to him. You need need to leave it with him. Even as you respond again, you know, kind of defensively, but just trying to protect your heart, you go, but Ed, I can't precisely. Stand still. Be quiet. Trust God in the moment. These are just moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas here. That's all. They're not a trained military force. These are real families crossing over. The Egyptians are ready to take him. They're so confident, right? And yet, the Egyptians are the ones that are trapped, not the people of God. 
The people of God are never trapped because there's always a way out. (laughs) Do you know that? The people of God are never trapped because there's always a way out. No temptation is overtaking you except such as common to man. And with every temptation, God has given us what? A way of escape. There's always a way out. You look to the left, you're scared. You look to the right, you're scared. You look behind, you're freaking out. You look ahead, it seems impossible. That's when it's time to look up because your redemption draws near. If the worship team will come back up, please. We're going to take a time of communion. Would you bring out your elements and get them ready? You want to start opening the top? Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to take the elements right now in light of this message. Again, we're going to end an extended time of worship, so please don't leave. Open yourself for the work of the Holy Spirit and do that by taking out the top layer of the wafer there And remember that this wafer speaks of one better than Moses. Right now in communion, I want you to remember, God has told you to stand still, so here you are. And God has told you to see the salvation of God, and here you are. And God has told you that, that God is ready to give you victory today, and here you are. And God has said, be quiet, hold your peace, and here you are. So let's lift up the the wafer to the Lord, and let's pray his blessing over it. Father, we are weak human beings that are desperate for exactly what Moses said. It's true thousands of years ago, but it's true today. But we have a greater one than Moses. We have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the whipping and the beating and the cruelty that Jesus, you took upon yourself that you might secure for us the forgiveness of our sins. So we ask your blessing upon this wafer as we remember you today. In Jesus' name, let's partake. If you could open up carefully the juice there. It's interesting, the communion, right? Because when did Jesus do, when did Jesus institute communion? At the Passover. What's the Passover commemorating? The event that just preceded the children of Israel leaving Egypt. The blood that was approached over the door, over the lentils in the area there that formed the cross. At that same meal, Jesus said, I'm going to redefine all that for you. I'm the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And it'll be my blood, the blood. When the blood is over your life, then you are safe from eternal death. You are safe and secure in the Father's hands. And so here we have a representation of the blood that was shed for you. You want to lift it up before the Lord? And we'll pray a blessing over it. Father, we ask that you would infuse upon us a faith like never before. Forgive us for freaking out, murmuring and complaining, God. Forgive us from, you know, we, we've got that real, that real fear that turned into panic, God. Would you help us in the middle? And let us remember the forgiveness of our sins, the removal of condemnation, the work of restoration, reconciliation, the power that you've given us through the blood that was shed for us. And we express our love and appreciation to you today. In Jesus' name. Let's partake. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.